Thanks for listening to the Campus Collective Podcast. As always, we pray that this resource is a helpful supplement for you as a follower of Jesus and as an active member in your local church. We love God's design for His church, and we believe that this resource could never substitute the incredible things that come from active involvement with a community of believers. Campus Collective is a ministry of Huntington Community Church. To learn more, visit our website at HuntingtonCommunityChurch.com. Our topic tonight is, is it possible to fake being a Christian? So I'm going to um, just go ahead and start at the end with that guy down there and um, let our panelists introduce ourselves themselves, and then we'll get started. I'd like to be the first to wish you a happy panel day tonight. So thought that was going to be a thing that we said, but I guess not. Happy channel happy day. Happy channel day, yes. Um, well, I'm, I'm Dustin. I'm on staff here at Campus Collective. You, if you've been around, you have most likely seen me up here, so I don't feel like you need to know much more. But if you're new, it's really nice to meet you. I'm Dustin. Hi, my name is Andrew. Uh, I've been interning with Collective this year under the guidance of Dustin and Jana and uh, finishing up my time at Marshall, and I'm excited to be on this panel. My name Jill. is Alex, and I'm a member of HCC. Also my roommate. Also Jana's roommate. I'm Tanner. I'm on student surf team. I'm a junior at Marshall. So the reason that we came up with this panel, I'm, I'm excited to explain this to you. So over the quarantine and the pandemic in general, I feel like my social media usage has been up. And I am a sucker for comment sections. Like not even on people's posts that I know, but like I like going to like New York Times articles and seeing what people are posting. And like it's always, it's like a special person that, takes time to comment on a New York Times article. Like, who are these people? <laughs> but I always find myself going through comment sections, especially when it's about religion or Christianity. And I noticed this trend over the last year of people really discussing leaving the church or being done with Christianity. And I would just get so discouraged and lost in these comment threads of, of something happening in the church and then all these comments of like, yeah, this is the reason I left. I'm so sick of Christians who act like this. I'm so sick of fake Christianity. I'm tired of the way that the church has treated me. I have experienced this trauma in the church. I've been hurt by the church in this way. There's so many comments like that, especially in the age group of millennials and Gen Z. And that's just weighed heavy on me recently. And the one thing that I found in common in all of those comments is that nobody mentioned the name of Christ. Nobody said, I'm leaving the church, but I still love Jesus. Or, or I don't like who Jesus is. I don't like his personality. I don't like what it says about him in the Bible. So I decided not to be a Christian. It's always because of these actions or because of how I felt or because of this thing that I went through in my life, I don't want to be a Christian anymore. But they, it's like they forget to think about, like, being a Christian is knowing and loving Jesus and following him. And so in light of that, I, this panel was born and these questions have been thought through. And so I'm excited now to ask them tonight and then allow you guys to hear the discussion. So I should have been prepared and have my questions up, but let me just do that real quick. Question one, should we question our salvation and the salvation of others around us? 
Um, I'll start. Um, I feel like my initial uh, reaction to this question might cause some tension that we need to we need to work through as we discuss this. But I'll just take a stab at it. Um, this is on. This will be addressing should we question our own salvation. So, the question of should people is it a healthy thing to do to ask the question, "Am I really saved?" Right. That's that's the idea. And I would say that if you are not a true follower of Christ, then yes, you should question your salvation. Um, the reason I say it that way is, is because I'm very, very thankful that in 2011, I did question my fake salvation. Um, it, was a, it was a hard reckoning because I had definitely made professions of faith, even as a kid, and was sprinkle baptized. Anybody else sprinkle baptized people out there? Okay, one. Two. All right, here we go. Um, but then, as I grew up and matured socially, my life was marked by complete unrepentant sin and no desire for the word, none of that. So, like, you know, the mystery of was I really saved as a five-year-old or that kind of stuff became very irrelevant when I realized just how far away from God I was. And it was because I had to, to consider that. Um, so that's on one hand. I think that's one type of person. Um, but the, the, the question of should a Christian question their salvation? The answer is absolutely not. Um, we should not question God's love for us. We should not question if his grace is stronger than our sin, and we should not uh, base our salvation um, on works. And so obviously that gets into how do we work out our salvation, stuff like that, but as far as questioning it, I think you start to question whether or not God is powerful to save. One ca caveat I want to give, I should have said earlier, is the point of this tonight is to is twofold. I want to encourage Christians who are true believers that your faith is not in question. Your salvation is held in Christ. But on the other hand, I want to challenge someone in here who may be able to go through four years in HCC and Campus Collective and then get out into the workforce at 22, 23, and be able to leave it all behind because you were living a fake Christian life. You weren't truly encountering Christ. You were living a moral life, and you fit in here, and no one could really tell that you weren't a true believer. Feel free to continue to answer the question. Um, to, we kind of spoke beforehand, you know, there are two types of people who really question their salvation, and like Jana was saying, one eventually just leaves, um, but the other person who questions their salvation, um, who really is saved, if you find yourself as an, a person who wrestles with anxiety and who has to really fight that or worry, um, then I really sympathize with you, that's me. Um, and when it comes to salvation and assurance of salvation in my heart, I, I rely on the simple gospel, um, that my works don't save me, that Jesus holds my salvation. Year, a couple of years ago, my favorite parable was about the man who buried his treasure in a field and sold, or found a treasure in a field and sold everything to go and get it. And that was like selling everything you had for the kingdom of heaven, which is beautiful. But the past few years have been really hard and humbling for me. Um, am I allowed to say that? I've been humbled. Is that prideful? Okay. Um, <laughs> they've been hard years. 
And now my favorite parable is the parable of the mustard seed, um, that it's not the size of your faith. The mustard seed is really small, right? But it's the object of your faith. Um, and so like, I know that the Lord loves me. I know that by calling on the name of the Lord and repenting of my sin, that he is my king and my savior. And one day, Jesus is going to stand, um, stand before me in front of the judgment, uh, in front of judgment. And, you know, not works, not if I love the Lord enough, if I've done enough for him today, if I have genuine feelings for him today. Uh, and so just for those of you who struggle in that way, I'll, I'll leave that there for you. I'd like to share sort of a personal anecdote as well on that note. I'm sort of on going off what Dustin said. Should Christians uh, who are in Christ, should we be re regularly contemplating, am I saved? And the answer is no in the sense that we understand that God's grace is what saved us. And we, if we could do nothing to merit salvation, there is nothing we could do to merit losing our salvation as though we committed some sort of foul against God. But sort of my testimony involves, I was, I was raised by uh, two parents who, who know, know Jesus, and they have always instructed me in the way of the Lord. And I can't sort of delineate between a time when I didn't believe in Jesus and a time when I began to believe in Jesus. Uh, I have always understood Jesus. I've, I've known about him. Of course, there is a time in which as I came to reason and to understand, uh, I had to sort of, re uh, I had to answer the question for myself, am I believing something passed down to me or am I, do I have faith in Christ? It is a gift given to each. Uh, you cannot receive it from your parents. And I don't remember very vividly, but I, I do remember sort of vaguely when I was seven years old, having a conversation with my mother, talking about salvation. And uh, I said a prayer with my mother uh, sort of like a, almost like a cliche. And I remember from that point, oftentimes uh, I would like do something that I knew was wrong or I would be mean to somebody or I would do something. And I, I remember like several times coming to my mom and being like, do I need to get saved again? Like really nervous about that. And I think for some of us in this room, you might need to hear that that in itself can be sort of an affirmation of your faith in that you desire repentance, that nobody who desires repentance and desires uh, the Lord is going to be turned away from him. That if we are genuinely seeking the Lord and we want to be repentant, it is not as though he's going to say, but you're not saved. That is the fruit of repentance. The, the fruit of salvation is repentance. We repent at, to be saved uh, through grace. And so even considering um, am I saved? And having this spirit of repentance can be sort of an affirmation. And moving on from that, like sort of nowadays, it's less so, do I need to say a prayer? Do I need to do this? But calling into questioning the fruit in my life. And uh, it always comes down to me when I am discouraged. Um, it comes down to me is at the end of the day, I want to want Christ. I may not always be super zealous. I may not always be enthralled in passion in my faith and having very experiential worship and whatnot. Uh, but at the end of the day, my prayer is I want Christ. I want deeper relationship. And that, that is a gift of the Holy Spirit meant to affirm us in our faith. Yeah, I mean, I, I come from a similar uh, boat as, as Andrew in that, like, I mean, when I, when I was in Awana as a six and seven-year-old, I used to ask Jesus into my heart every time I prayed just to be sure that I was good and that I was covered. Um, 
And so I think the tension for Christians comes in what the, how you frame these, these questions and, and what, what it is that you're actually questioning. Are you questioning your salvation in the sense that you're questioning, like, am I really trusting Jesus? Is Jesus the object of my faith? Um, am, I, am I trusting in morality instead or in, in some other thing instead? Or is the object of your question, like, the things that you've done? Like, are you regularly questioning it because you're saying, well, I just keep sinning. I'm not sure if uh, God's grace holds, or I'm not sure if um, I've gotten to sin my way out of it, or if, if, if I was a real Christian, would I really be doing this again? So I think a lot of the tension for, for, Christians, for Christians who are asking that question is, like, in, in what the questions sound like. That makes me think about, I don't know if any of you, if you've been around HCC, HCC for a while, you've heard Jay Lacani's testimony. And um, I think the same thing that causes 22-year-olds to walk away from the church, which is, I believe is a self-centeredness instead of a Christ-centeredness, is, is the key to confidence in your salvation. Jay's testimony is that he wrestled with it for years and years and years, even into college, and just would lay awake at night and think, why do I keep sinning? I keep sinning. And just such shame and guilt and just it, did I do it? Did I trust him? Did I repent? Did I give it to him? And finally, someone said to him, like, the, the seal of your salvation is not what you have done. It's what he has done. He is completely trustworthy. He is completely confident in his work on the cross for your salvation. That is what we put our faith in, not what you have done to trust him. Yeah, and I think how we react to sin and how we respond to the warning passages shows a lot about what's in our heart too. I mean, if you're someone who is convicted over sin because you realize it is displeasing to the Lord, that is impossible apart, apart from grace. Like you can't, that's a gift. Um, you know, an unregenerate, an unsaved person literally can't have the thought, you know, this is displeasing to the Lord of who I love. <laughs> so that, that's kind of where I, in, in my early days, so the church background I was from um, taught a doctrine that you could lose your salvation. So that has always kind of plagued um, my uh, understanding, even post knowing for real that my faith was real um, in 2011. And um, so, yeah, I think that's a good question for those of you still like, because I, I know I've been in your shoes before where you're like, okay, yeah, but, but how do I know if I'm still the person who's struggling but still in? And um, I think what was clarifying for me during that struggle um, was just realizing there actually are just two types of people in the world. There are people who trust Christ for salvation, and there are those who don't. And the question is, which one are you? And there isn't a middle ground. There really is. Is he your life, or is he not? And the presence of sin itself is not, does not give you an answer on either of those, but it's that reaction to the sin that you are going to continually see. Because at the end of the day, the closer you get to Jesus, the more you're going to realize you're nothing like him. I mean, that's, that's the epitome of what it means to follow Christ, is learning more and more of how much you need grace, which is counterintuitive, but it's, it's very comforting when you see it that way. That does make it difficult, because in a sense, like the holier you are, the less holy you feel. And so, yeah, I mean, it just presents challenges. Uh, like, like for somebody who really, really is striving to be like Christ, like the, the closer you get to that, the more you're going to realize how much you fall short and the more it's going to present those kinds of questions. Yeah. And I would encourage the Christians in the room struggling with habitual sin to 
persevere in repentance, to trust in Christ and the sanctification of the Spirit. Sanctification can be slow and arduous, and sometimes it feels faster than others. And I would just encourage you to persevere in repentance and to continue to trust in the sanctifying work of the Spirit through faith. As we move on to the next question, I think um, in light of what Andrew's saying is, I think that um, slow, arduous perseverance of repentance, of true repentance after sin, time after time after time, is less dangerous than apathy. And so I want you, as you're listening to this, to to take a look at your heart and, and ask yourself, am I just going through the motions of being a Christian? Am I showing up for a collective in church? You may even be in a D group, in community group, but if, if you just don't really stop to think about your sin because you just don't care that much because you're busy, like this is the time to think about this. Why, why are you apathetic to your sin? Why does it not grieve you? Why does it not grieve you that you're sinning against Christ? Oh. So let's be thinking about that as we move on to the next question. The next question is, um, are Christians good and successful people? Um, Does material blessing indicate strong faith? Or alternatively, does lack of blessing indicate that you are not hidden in Christ? I think that a lot of people interpret, all this crap keeps happening to me. Does God really love me? I don't even know if, like I thought Christians were supposed to have good stuff happen to them. So like, Answer. What are your thoughts? To answer the question of do Christians always enjoy blessed, wealthy lives, I will use defer to the wise words of I think it was Nate Bornanada in our last panel. No. Well, <laughs> well said. <laughs> Elaborate, please. Yeah, I, I think I think we see in Scripture. I'll just I'll use I'll rely on Scripture here. There's a lot of people in Scripture, some of whom enjoyed. Uh, very, very wealthy, prosperous lives, and a lot of people who enjoyed miserable lives accompanied by much suffering. And I think you'll notice that in neither case is there a correlation between faithfulness and circumstances as far as success and wealth. On one side of the spectrum, you have perhaps one of the wealthiest peoples who have ever existed, King Solomon, uh, who was incredibly wealthy and was, but, and then, and he was a, he, he knew God, he trusted in God. And on the other side of the spectrum, you have Job, for example, who knew God, was trusted, but he was, he was being tested by Satan to try to renounce God. And he had literally every metric of wealth stripped from him, whether it be his means of economics, uh, such as like farming, every, all of his sheep, his goats, everything died, his family. Uh, passed away, his health gone, and in neither case was there a correlation between faithfulness and material blessing. And in and, and one of my favorite psalms, I believe it's Psalm 73, the psalmist actually laments. Uh, it, he feels as though he has kept the law of the Lord in vain because he suffers all the time, and he looks around, and there are many people who show no regard for the law of the Lord who are living it up and are experiencing what they seem to be having joyous lives free of trouble. And upon contemplating this, he, it, he's very overwhelmed. Uh, he's questioning, why should I continue in the law if, if I meet nothing but suffering? He is comforted when he meditates on God and remembers the hope of Christ, which is 
uh, eternity. He recognizes that the he knows the end of all things, and we as people who know the word know the end of all things, that those who trust Christ will inherit the kingdom, and those who do not trust Christ will not inherit the kingdom. This is the hope of Christ, and these are the things which can uh, encourage us. There's a lot of things that God has given us to affirm us, and material blessings are not one of those things. Um, <laughs> I think it's, yeah, and this, this is just right along with what Andrew said. I think it's good to remember, practically speaking, the Lord chooses to allot different people, different blessings, this side of heaven. Um, and so, you know, if you're looking worldwide and you're looking at different believers and just, even just different image bearers all across the world, they're going to live in different circumstances and have different experiences, and this broken world's going to affect them in different ways, um, and it's not going to look the same for everyone. If the people around you, he's going to bless some of you with marriages right out of college. Some of you are going to have to wait. Some of you might not get it. Um, you know, different career prospects, different health situations, um, and so just remember that each person's story is their own, and or, um, material, or material, I don't want to cheapen not receiving a gift or a blessing that you greatly desire, like anything this side of heaven that God chooses to give to one person but not to another, it's just going to look different for different people, um, but he's good, and there's space to work through those things, and to grieve those things, and to seek after other things, um, but this side of heaven, it's, gonna, it's just going to be different for everyone. Um, but on the next side, we get abundant life, and we get the Lord. And it's hard to believe that this life is fleeting. Um, and and true, true life and true blessing, where we are all at the table, all at the wedding feast, that is to come. Um, and that is, that's part of our sanctification, is fixing our eyes on that. Yeah, I think that this side of heaven is the big key there, like, how you answer that question deals with like the perspective that you're, you're coming at blessings with because God does bless his people with prosperity in eternity. And so not right now, but like if you're looking just at this like microscopic minuscule little dot on the timeline of, of history, like as opposed to like, like eternity, then yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to look like a lot of times God's people are the ones that, yeah, that aren't, being blessed with material wealth, that aren't being blessed with, with successes as the world would have it. So that's why it's so important to like ground your perspective in eternity as you question that. Like, like one day, like, yeah, Christians are going to be abundantly lavish with blessings, and, and the wicked are not going to be. Um, and, and so I think keeping eternity in perspective is a really good way to fight that. I think obviously, or maybe unobviously, the point of this question is to address those who would walk away to the church because they're tired of, I feel like I've kept up my end of the deal. I have been faithful to church. I have taught in a Sunday school class or worked in the nursery or gone to campus collective and been part of the Bible study. And God's not given me what I want. And so I'm done. I'm done with Christianity. And that I would, I would be confident in saying that you never really were then. If you were in it for what God could give you, then you never really loved Jesus. And um, in, in my own life, it's similar to Alex, is that um, 
I'm 30 years old. I'm getting married in 11 days. And this time last year, I didn't know if I would ever get married, even though I knew that it was a desire that I had. And being 29 and um, especially in West Virginia and a Christian, like, there's just no guarantee. Like, there's just not a lot of options. And, uh, like, I regularly found myself faced with following Christ may cost me having family. And, like, wrestling with that, especially with people saying, you just keep being faithful. He'll bring someone to you. And, and like, coming to realize that that's not true because he doesn't promise that. There's no scripture that says, be faithful and I will bring you a spouse. And the fact that he has brought me one is an extra blessing that I am so thankful for, but I do not deserve and that I did not do anything for. It's just because God's freely blessing with me with that. And he does that because he is a good father. He sometimes gives us blessings, but that is above and beyond the the unbelievable blessing of salvation, not, which nothing can compare to. And this tiny marriage that I will only be in for a fleeting moment compared to eternity is not worth walking away from him for if I didn't get it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think, I would, I think there's even like an edge to this. I think there's a lot of ways that many, countless ways that the kingdom of God is different than the kingdom of American culture. Um, but perhaps this is one of the most prominent. Um, the Bible could not make it any more clear that riches are really, really dangerous. I mean, Jesus literally says it's harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to make it to the kingdom of heaven. And you think about a camel squeezing in, that is nearly impossible to think about. Um, 1 Timothy 6 saying, there are people who have looked like they were in the faith, but have has pierced themselves with many pangs because of their desire for riches. Not even that they had them, just that they wanted them. And I think this is an insidious thing that can creep into all of us, particularly this crowd. Because most of you, if you named a reason that you are in your major, one of the top three reasons would be salary, I'm assuming. I mean, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but if it's an all-consuming desire that the point of your life is to get enough money to do whatever, then I think we're, we're treading on dangerous territory even in, in the word. Um, so, I mean, this probably just needs to be said. I don't know where this needs to go after this question. But um, if, you, if you listen to people on a podcast or watch speakers who equate anything related to material blessing as a result of what God has done for you in Christ, you need to never listen to them again ever. Ever. It's not good. It's a gospel that can't save and it's a gospel that will not bring healing and it's uh, heretical. It's heretical. It's it's not. Someone who believes that is someone who doesn't know the gospel. Um, the unfortunate thing I think is sometimes we can even make a Christian version of that though. I think most of us, if I said, Did Jesus die on the cross so that you could be a multimillionaire for the rest of your life? There are some preachers who would say yes. I'm assuming most of us would say no. But if I said, did Jesus die on the cross and rise again so that we could have easy, comfortable lives? We might still say no, but sometimes we live and react to God as if that's what he does owe us. So there's a spiritual prosperity gospel, I think, that can slip in. Um, that, in fact, the, the biblical witness to us is that these trials are good for you. 
Because the one thing that can't be taken away is God, and you get more of him as you see less things that crowd out him and your soul taken away. So I just feel like that needs to be said, that it's not only the Bible is like, watch out for riches, it's, this is horribly dangerous to want. Any other thoughts? I just keep thinking about um, a couple of Sundays ago when Adam preached on the prodigal son, and like I just keep thinking about the older son and like with the last, like like what you guys have said about like expecting, like like basing basing your your place with the father and expecting blessings from him here, and like I think about how he, um, I mean I mean was so blessed, but then like slipped up when he was uh, confronting his dad, saying like I've slaved away for you know, for all these years, and like, like he, his point of realizing that he was not, not in the position with the father that he thought he was, was like, that he didn't get what he expected, and that he was not blessed in the way that he expected. So I think that's a really um, helpful place to look. So, in light of this, then, if, if Christians need to be prepared to not get the blessing that they expect, or, or or really desire, and still passionately be pursuing after Christ, then there has to be room for grief if we don't get blessings that we hope for in this life. So in light of that, like, is it okay for Christians to have bad days? Or even more so, like, bad months or bad lives? Like, can a Christian be depressed and to the point of despairing of their life? Is it okay for a Christian to have those kinds of problematic emotions, even, even to the point of being angry with God, and still be a Christian? It is absolutely human, and all Christians, I would think, or at least most Christians, will experience bad days and bad seasons, maybe even bad months. Maybe even their whole life is a struggle. Um, yeah, the past the past few years have been so hard for me, um, and it's not like I've I've had good health, but I've had a few hard things happen in my life. And I mean, I've I've had really bad, really low days um, that turned into weeks and months. Um, but you know. I kind of forgot where I was going with this. But I still love the Lord, and humans are emotional beings. And, um, like, the, the Bible gives us space to grieve. It gives us space to cry out to the Lord. It gives us space to weep with our brothers and sisters. Um, there, there are hormonal imbalances, there are chemical imbalances that can happen, traumatic experiences that we carry, the ways that we're wired. We are not all going to be peppy and excited and be able to worship with both hands up um, and just incredibly trip ourselves all the time. And, you know, you might every once in a while not have a great day or you might have a lot of bad days, um, but there, there's room for you with Christ and in the hall of faith and, and the the witness of the saints is full of Christians who have had to persevere through depression and through anxiety and through um, working through hard emotions. So yes, you can be a believer and you can have hard days. You can still be sanctified and you can still have self-control. 
but you can be a believer and have hard days. I think something that's helpful in this, um, I would be someone who falls on the peppier side of personality spectrum um, normally. But something that's been very convicting, and I think um, even in, as, I've, as I have had like the, the low lows and have experienced depression and anxiety and things like that, um, I read something, it was in the Galatians commentary of Tim Keller. So if you haven't heard of Tim Keller, he's a former pastor in New York City, just a brilliant mind. And, and he, he said something I thought was really helpful in pertaining to this, um, particularly those of you who are like, I am just not peppy, and that feels forced, and does that mean that I'm not like a happy Christian, okay? Um, he, he made the point that the, the fruit of the Spirit, so like the fruit of the Spirit of joy is not the same thing as a peppy positive personality, that, that you can be a reserved, uh, quiet, more melancholy type person and still experience joy, and it might not look like, uh, I think, what'd you say, Alex, two hands in the air at worship? I mean, uh, I'm not bashing that. I think that's great. I, yeah, I assume you thought it was great. But, <laughs> that, but that is like, that, that is something I think a lot of people feel pressure. I think this plays into personality type. There's some of you that think, because you're introverted and don't get all passionate about really anything, that all of a sudden that means that you're not joyful in Christ. And that could not be further from the truth. So I think bad days are, uh, if you're aware of your own sin, the brokenness of the world, there are things that, are, that you can be sad about. And I think there's, it's holy to, to grieve those things. Yeah, and I'd also add that our emotions are very much human and as such, very much need sanctification. Uh, and this goes that we can have sinful emotions. Janet T., she said, is it okay to be angry at God? We talked about that. We, th we think, uh, can you be angry at God and his grace is still sufficient for you? Of course. And is, now for the question, is it sinful to be angry at God? To the extent that we do not accuse God. We are, as humans, we are not to stand before God as accusers, as though the Lord has committed an injustice. And so if, an, if by angry at God we mean this, uh, then this is sin of which we need to repent. But over and over again, we see in the Psalms uh, deep depression. Uh, there's a book called Lamentations, we see, but we see in Psalms specifically deep depression and sorrow, and it's not necessarily related to, it, it's hard to understand. I'm thinking specifically of Psalm 42. Uh, he says, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He asks even, Why are you cast down, O my soul? There are seasons when we simply, literally don't even know mm -hmm. why we are in depression, uh, depressive moods or uh, seasons. For some of us, we have medical dispositions, perhaps, that we are clinically depressed, perhaps, or we struggle with depression, uh, whereas others don't necessarily. I struggle with experiencing rich emotions. I've so often, I remember even from a young age, like praying that I would be able to experience more rich emotions. Uh, I want to feel more sorrowful sometimes. Like, I want to feel more, more grief, more, more, uh, I want to be more experiential sometimes in worship. I want to cry when I am moved by something, and these things are difficult for me. And so remembering, uh, Everyone in here ought to be encouraged to remember that our emotions are not necessarily the Holy Spirit. Our, they're not the Holy Spirit. There is a delineation there in which the way we feel isn't necessarily connected with the spiritual state of well-being. 
Uh, we don't understand ourselves. And it is another reason why we have to hope in Christ in that one day we will be made complete and we will experience the fullness of every emotion in their appropriate context. Um, I think it's also important to remember that joy, like rejoice always, joy is going to look different in different seasons. Um, if you're experiencing the loss of a loved one or you're working through depression um, or there's just something hard in your life that, that you can't seem to overcome, I think I really believe that I've learned the past year or so that joy looks different in different seasons. Um, I still crown Jesus as king. I still love him. Um, I worship him. But, you know, on my lowest days of the past few years, joy looked different for me. Um, and so I think within community and with the Bible and through prayer, like kind of navigating what that can look like is important. Um, but yeah, joy is just, joy is not always this exuberant bubbling over. Maybe the four of you could chime in on this, but um, I think so often, especially when we're young believers, it's easy to think, like, I need, I keep separate my grief, my sorrow, my depression, my despair from Christ. I go to Christ when I, when I'm full, when I'm happy, when I am joyful. But maybe you guys could talk from personal experience about when you have despaired or you have grieved and Christ has been even more near to you. You have experienced, because he's called the man of sorrows, and we, if we don't know him in that way, it's, that's on us, because he tells us in his word that he is the man of sorrows. He's, surely he has borne our griefs. Surely he has carried our sorrows. So maybe from personal experience, how you have gotten to know Christ more through a grief that you've walked through. Yeah, I can, I can start. Um, I would say, along with maybe many people, that. Uh, 2020 was definitely the the most difficult year of my life um, for variety variety of reasons. Um, but I can now say, looking back on that, um, that a lot of the promises of God is near to the brokenhearted. Um, it's in our weakness that He is strong makes sense. And I, I love the gospel in this because, my goodness, that that we could ever trick ourselves into thinking that it's only when we're doing well spiritually that Jesus wants to be near. It's, it's the exact opposite is true. I mean, it's the opposite. He's got his finger on the mercy trigger ready. As soon as you are, um, recognize your brokenness, you recognize that you need him. I mean, it's, it's like getting to, you know, when he says he's the living water we can drink and never get thirsty, it's not because we drink one time and we're good. It's that he just never stops satisfying a desire that, that he's given us. And, and that is like a, a beautiful, beautiful thing. So, I mean, for me, it has always been in the hard times where I see it the brightest. Um, and I, I love the Bible because there's this phrase in 2 Corinthians 6.10 that I think perfectly illustrates kind of what Alex is getting at, that, that rejoicing looks different. Um, rejoicing does sometimes look like both hands in the air worship. I'm going to keep bringing that person up. Because um, it's me sometimes, but it's some of you guys too. Um, but 2 Corinthians 6.10, Paul's talking about the ministry of the apostles, and he, say, he says this, that they are sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. I love that. Like, you think about these, these people who, in the sorrow, not just like they were sad, it was, they are sorrowful people, 
yet always rejoicing. And that's the type of joy that is possible. Because if joy is just that you're good at celebrating things when, when good things happen, um, you could argue that's not even biblical joy. That's uh, something entirely different that, that a non-believer could feel. There's a lot of non-believers that are happy when their life is good. Um, but when everything falls apart and somehow that joy is more powerful, um, even though it looks very, very different, it might look like crying or alone on your bed or whatever, um, that's, that's a part of the gospel that is it's irresistible. And you understand how to be thankful for trials if you see that. I mean, there are times in Psalms where, like, psalmists ask God questions that I would be scared to ask God in my own prayers, like where they say things like, and again, never accusing God of wrongdoing, but saying things like, why do you seem silent, God? Or why do you seem like you're far away from me? Like, I would be afraid to pray those things until I get reminded, you know, reading Psalms that, like, those are inspired prayers that like, God has given to us. And so, like, I think, like, like, going there and not being afraid to, like, like, God knows that you're asking those questions whether you ask him in a prayer or not. And so, like, I think just being, being real with God um, and, and, like, tearing down this, this barrier that, like, like, makes you think that God gets your happy moments, that Jesus gets your excited um, accomplishments or your, your highs, like, and just tearing that down and just being real helps so much. And I also think, and one of my big lessons from 2020 was, like, what a blessing it is and, and how much it shows you what it's like to, to take your suffering to God, to take your suffering to God's people. Um, like, gosh, like my, my suffering that took place in 2020 was uh, held up by the church, right? Like that, that was where, and, and I think it's difficult when we talk about like what we talked about earlier, that there's this kind of feeling sometimes, especially in a campus ministry circle where like Christians are these super happy, peppy people. And so like that, that creates another difficulty and not wanting to take my sadness or my depression or my anxiety to people who are always happy and who always seem like they have it together. Like, like people, I mean, and especially like, again, in a, in a college setting, like just by nature of being loud, peppy people, loud, peppy people are going to be the people you notice, you know what I mean? And so like, you just think that this is what being a, a Christian that's involved in Christian things in college looks like. And like, when you, when you, like, just realize that that's not the case and you suffer with God's people, that's the, about as close, I think, as we are able to, to see here on earth is it, like, suffering with God, like, like letting God in on, on it, is sitting with three or four brothers or sisters and crying together. I do want to go back to, we kind of touched on it for a second, about being angry with God, because um, I feel like this is something that we get wrong pretty often. And um, like I see, I see posts here and there or just comments of like, it's okay to be angry with God, especially if someone's gone through something hard. And um, just touch on that. What would you think about that? I think Tanner brought up a really good point uh, when we consider this from quoting the Psalms that there is an appropriate way to express this misunderstanding. I think oftentimes we're angry and we express that in prayer to God. We have to delineate though between accusing God of injustice and simply being completely in despair due to misunderstanding. Like why God, why God do, like, even the Psalm I quoted earlier, Psalm 73, he's asking God like why? Why do the, the sinful, the wicked people of the world who have no regard for you continue to prosper in this way. 
why, did they, why does this happen when I suffer all day long? He's clearly very frustrated and overwhelmed, and this is still an inspired prayer, that in that the Holy Spirit inspired this man to have complete chaos as far as his understanding, and then to then express that in prayer as an encouragement to generations to come, us today, we read that, and we can be encouraged to experience that. Uh, somebody else up here is clearly more qualified than me to talk about the, the nuances of the sinful aspect of anger with God, though. You both had great answers when we were talking about it earlier. I'm just wanted to say that me grabbing the mic was not me presuming that I was more qualified to talk about <laughs> I'm it. I'm deferring to Dustin Epperly now. <laughs> That's humiliating. Um, so if we define anger as the appropriate emotional reaction to injustice, then it is absolutely a sin to be angry at God. Uh, he commits no wrongdoing. Um, he is only good. But if what we mean by the question of, is it okay to be angry with God? Is there mercy for you in your wrestling with things you're angry about with God? Then yes, of course. Um, but we, we, we tread dangerous grounds when we glorify being angry at God. I think some people um, like to brag about that. And, and that is a as a powerful opponent to brag against. <laughs> um, and, and you should be very fearful if you are a person who is comfortable saying, shake your fist at, at the God who made us. Um, and there's only mercy. If you're in Christ and you are, like Jesus died for all the times you're angry at God. <laughs> but um, you want to be very careful. And also, that does not lead to healing. Appropriate worship of God is what leads to healing. And you are not appropriately worship, worshiping God if you are um, accusing God of injustice, even in, even in your suffering. I think praying honestly, also like, like I had talked about in the Psalms, like praying honestly, is, is a, if, you, if you're doing that, you're going to sometimes say things that are sinfully angry at God because sometimes that's how we honestly feel. But when you do that, then you're also opening up a door to like confess sin. Yeah. And so that's like a... a double like like means of, of grace there like you're being honest with god and you're confessing sin saying god i am really like frustrated that you're putting me through this but i ask that you would like, forgive me for that and that you would shape my understanding of this in, into your you know your perspective that you would remind me that all things work together for my good that you would um let me keep eternity in mind you know like like be honest with god not just because you're being honest with god and you're, you're telling him how you feel but because that lets you confess sin and then like think things that aren't sinful like if you can if you confess things that are sinful that you're thinking to god you can also ask him to shape your your thoughts into things that aren't sinful at all i also think it's helpful in this conversation to consider are you approaching god in a spirit of humility or in arrogance because it takes a special sort of arrogance to approach the almighty god with a shaking like finger like how could you um, you wouldn't jump, like, pounce into the, to the throne room before the Almighty God, the King of Kings, and shake your fist at him. Uh, so if you understood the gravity of the one to whom you were addressing, uh, you, wouldn't do, you wouldn't address him in such arrogance. And so consider, am I coming in a spirit of humility, 
through which I want to understand God's purposes. I understand that his ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I want to understand, God, please help me to see why you are doing this. Or are you coming in a spirit of arrogance saying, God, how, like, you, like, as a human, riddled with sin, uh, uh, presuming to know more or to know better uh, than God. And so I think that is sort of how, how we might help us delineate that sort of anger we feel towards God. Am I angry and in humility I, I seek understanding for God? Or am I angry and in my arrogance I would dare to accuse God? You, you don't have a right to question God angrily. And I think, like, our culture kind of, like, props this up as, like, this, this accepting thing. Like, you, you have a right to take your anger to God and, like, have him answer for it and ask him your hard questions. And, like, you have, you have the right, you don't, you don't have the right, but by, by God's grace we are able to take our anger to him and, like, leave it there, but don't let somebody lie to you and tell you that you have a right to, like, go to God and demand an answer. And, and I'll stop after this, but that reminds me, sometimes I think we approach God like it's customer service that we're addressing. And as Americans, we love to, we, we brag almost about how mean we can be to customer service. Like, listen here, bucko, like I'm the customer and I wasn't pleased with the service I got. I, I work at a little bakery and I got this call like right before we opened and this guy was just yelling and yelling and yelling. And we as Americans love to be consumers and to stick it to uh, the people serving us. And I think that we can approach God as though we're talking to customer service and we, like you put it well, like we're demanding that he give an account. We don't have a right to demand that God give us an account for why he's acted in the way he has as though uh, he's trying to satisfy. The customer isn't always right when it comes to, to interacting with, with our Father God. And if you're, if you're in the throes of grief and like high emotions, you're you might make a mistake. Like we said earlier, like you, you might say things. I think about the psalm, like I was a brute and ignorant beast before you. Um, I don't, I don't know exactly what he meant by that. If he had like sinned or if he hadn't, to me that indicates that he like was angry before the Lord or like to God. Um, and so if you're in the throes of emotions and grief, you, you might be a brute and ignorant beast before God. Um, and so like the rebuke, might not be comfortable when your brother or sister says, whoa, wait a minute. Or if the Holy Spirit is like, stop. Like that might be an uncomfortable rebuke, especially if emotions are really high. Um, so I just want to encourage you now in this room to accept that rebuke with humility and repentance and um, just knowing that you're not alone in that and that God is merciful, but like my goodness, it is a generous and merciful thing to be rebuked for. Um, you do not want to continue in a life of bitterness against the Lord. And so, if you are, if that is um, brought to you to be, if you're held accountable for that, like that is a mercy from the Lord. And go ahead and set that up in your mind. I would just do you have something to add? No. I would just say that so much of this panel is about. Being a true believer is knowing Christ deeply and loving him deep. If you know him, you love him. And that someone who truly knows Christ deeply knows that he is only ever your ally in your suffering. And someone who is your ally, you won't be angry with. You won't be accusatory to. And if, if you're struggling with this, maybe you don't know Jesus as well as you thought you did. Yeah, and I'll say one more thing on that. I, th I think Andrew's right in the humility aspect of it because when, 
Can Christians have bad days? Yes. Can Christians be faithful and unfaithful in bad days? Yes. Right? Like, that's the idea. It's not the fact that they exist or the fact that you get depressed or anxious. It's the fact of what is the state of your heart and are you faithful in it? Um, And there's mercy for the times you fail, but that's the question, right? It's not if suffering comes or bad things happen, but how we respond to it. Um, But I, I think, my goodness, where I go, and this is perhaps dark, but it helps me in humility is that literally every single breath that we have ever taken that was not apart from Christ forever is mercy. It's not just that he rebukes us. It's the fact that you, have, you are breathing right now. Like, we are so good at presuming that we deserve literally anything. And that's not a self-deprecation. I hate myself. Like, I believe we're made in the image of God. We have value, dignity, worth. All that is true, but it's equally true that because of our sin, we deserve nothing. And that, that helps me in those dark days of, uh, it, it, slowly, but it bends my cold heart toward thankfulness. Uh, and I think that's helpful in cultivating humility as well. So we are actually running ahead of schedule, so I'm going to give you all a question that I just thought of. So sorry about that. You didn't have time to prepare for this one. But um, going back to what the original thought of the millennials and the Gen Zers who are leaving the church because they've been hurt by the church, or because they've been hurt by, by another Christian, what would be your advice to them? If you got to sit down one-on-one and talk to them about why they should, become, why they should continue being a Christian, what would you say to them? I, like you, have spent my fair share of time in comment sections. <laughs> <laughs> And so, um, like, like you said, I, I see like, those types of things that people say and the reasons that they give for why they've left, but I've also never, some, something I've seen people say a lot is, and I don't think this is one that you, that you mentioned, if only Christians were to act, acted more like Jesus. Like you said that they, you never hear them say they have a problem with Jesus. Like even further than that, I often hear them say that like, their problem is with people not acting like Jesus. You know, like I've seen so many people say, you know, these, these Christians aren't uh, following the Jesus of the Bible, you know, and if, if they would act like that he does and, that, and do the things that he says, then maybe I'd be able to stick around. And I might like, be interested. Yeah, so like, I think, I think that's, that's, first of all, I mean, I mean convicting to, to me as a believer just to like examine, examine myself and like wonder when I've broadcast that to, to you know, unbelieving people around me. But also like my advice would be don't, don't make the source of your staying in the faith a bunch of imperfect people. Mm-hmm. Like, Jesus is the person that you are saying he is, that you are, you are admitting he is. So, so forget about, don't forget about the church. Don't forget about the church. But don't base the, your ability to stick with it in these people who are imperfect and who are broken, like, like, if, if you are attracted to the words of Jesus, then dig into them. Yeah. If, if what he says is appealing to you and you think that if people lived that way, the world would be better and Christianity would be better, then live that way. Christian means Christ follower, yeah. not Christ follower follower. Yeah. I do think scripture, though, has a warning uh, for us as Christians and as the organized body of believers, as the church. 
It's Jesus says in the gospel, woe to you who would cause any of these little ones, referring to children, to stumble. He says it would be better for a millstone to be tied around your neck and for you to be cast into the sea. And a millstone is essentially just a big old boulder. So Jesus says that basically it'd be better for you to get a boulder around your neck and thrown at the bottom of the sea than to face me after causing one of, my, one of these little ones to stumble in regards to their faith. So that's, that's a warning. Uh, and I think these comment sections in our relationships teach us that, yes, I, idealistically, as we're referring to, people ought to be so attracted to Jesus that that alone can persevere them in spite of what, of church hurt. But you also ought to be warned, in, according to the words of Jesus, that there is wrath reserved for us. Uh, not in, in Christ, wrath is absorbed, but there is wrath absorbed for those who would lead others astray by their uh, by their wickedness and cause people to perhaps walk away from the faith. And so Jesus is compassionate towards those who have uh, walked away because of, quote, church hurt. Um, and I also agree with the panelists, my friends up here, that I would, I would beg my friends, uh, I would lament with them the whatever it is that they are lamenting, if it is, if it is just, like we do do a lot of bad things. We're human, uh, but that I would beg them to persevere and to recognize the absolute necessity of the church to Christian vital uh, health. You would, I would fall away from the faith if I didn't have uh, church, if I didn't have a family uh, supporting me. This is, we talk about being affirmed in the faith. What do we look for to be encouraged? Am I saved or not? We participate in the local church. The church is designed for accountability. We meet with believers, we confess sin, Absent of this, we grow apathetic, we grow discouraged, we walk away. The church is designed to be a family, to support one another, and absent of these things, we fail. Uh, and this is a grace from God. And so I, I, to conclude, like there's a warning in Scripture for us, for we who would, we, let's not dismiss our hypocrisy and our failures and say, well, they should just be following Jesus. But let's also uh, beg people, let's plead with our friends and neighbors to consider Jesus and to to have grace and, and mercy as Jesus has had mercy on us. Depending on the person I was sitting with, I would ask that person what they think will happen to them after they die. My brain tends to think in very literal terms. And so if you know the person sitting across from you and you know that that might be how they think, like, what do you think is gonna happen to you after you die? or go back to the beginning, well then who created all of this? I think the best explanation for where we live as a creator, I think the Bible is the best revelation of that creator. And I believe Jesus walked the earth. I believe that he was a real man, that he died on the cross. I believe that he really did rise from the grave um, and that he really is who he says he is. And, and for me, if I was talking to a student or a peer, um, I would want to go back to the basics with them. Um, and so that's just another, another thought to put in your tool belt. Dustin, I want you to answer this question, but with a twist. So a little more specific, they have walked away from the church, but what if also they're living in sin and unrepentant sin, and they are still saying things like, well, I'm a believer. I just don't go to church anymore because that's not for me. And, or I have this sin, and I'm not willing to give it up, but I'm, I'm still a Christian, what would you say to them? Mm. What would I say? Um, I, I think 
you know, I was, I was going very practical before the twist um, and just thinking what I would do is I, was in, I would invite that person over. Like, I would want to say, okay, I hear, I hear you, just come be with my friends and let's talk. And I think uh, the conversation I was leaning toward would have been more of what Alex was saying, but I think if there's, if it's kind of the I love Jesus but hate his church kind of vibe, um, I would, man, I think that I would go um, probably just challenge. I think I would go there. I think I would say, do you realize you have no chance of being my friend if you hate my bride? Like anyone that hates Courtney, you are not my friend, <laughs> period. And I would say the Jesus you're saying you love literally died for these people. And um, it is incongruent for you to assume that it's better for you to not be with the people for which he died. Um, that'd be the first part. If, if I talked about the unrepentant sin, I think, I think it's basic questions of, of tell me what you think uh, following Christ looks like. Tell me how you think that's compatible with, um, with following Christ. And then, you know, eventually, if, you are, if they stay friends with you long enough in those challenges, then at some point, it, it's very basic of, so what you're saying is that you believe this is wrong, but you don't care. Then how could you say that you actually know Jesus? Yeah. I think you get there eventually. Obviously, it's probably not all in one night, but I would definitely love them a lot first um, yeah. before you just, you know, I'm probably, if I met someone on Tuesday night and they said that, I wouldn't be like, you know, you have no chance of being my friend, right? I mean, yeah. I'm probably not going to do that. Can um, I respond to yeah. that spot that, or that part? Like, if you if you are like at that moment where it's like you can't hate the Lord's bride, which is important, and then if you're also like walking with this person and there's this sin they're not willing to repent of, I would also challenge you as their friend, the person who's investing in them, like ask them if they can do a Bible study with you. Yeah. Ask them, like there's nothing you can say that will be as effective as what the, like, what the Lord has written um, yeah. and breathed out in scripture. Um, so, like, go through the Gospel of Matthew with them. Start in an epistle from Paul. And so, Scripture convicts. And not that the Holy Spirit can't use you, because he, he does, and he will. Um, but just, if you're at the point that Dustin's talking about, be studying the Bible with that person. Yeah. And, like, the same analogy of the bride is just, like, we, we are the bride of Christ. And, and so if you're calling yourself a believer, but you have this sin that you're not giving up, Christ, Christ forgives me. He loves me. He forgives me. He has great, all the grace in the world for me. That's true. But that doesn't mean that, like, if, if Dustin kicked Courtney when he walked in the door every night, and that was it. That's all he did. It's not a big deal. He just kicked her every night. Like, what kind of relationship are they going to have, you know? And, and you may be, and maybe you have a pet sin in here right now, and you're like, it's not that big of a deal. It's not hurting anyone. But do you truly love God if you're, if you're holding on to this sin that is directly against him? And I would add there might be even a little bit of a useful apologetic tool or lesson in here for us. I think that it, it might, this all might be related, like this phenomenon we're seeing of people like, oh, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. It might be related to this. It, it might be uniquely American. I'm not sure of the history of it. But this whole language of, oh, I accepted Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. Uh, I think a lot of us may understand salvation as, uh, yes, Jesus is uniquely interacting with you, but he doesn't just save you. He is redeeming a body. He is redeeming a people. 
for himself. He's redeeming a family. Uh, he is not your personal Lord and Savior. Uh, he is our Lord and Savior. He is the Lord and Savior. Uh, it's not like something you, you get. This is my little, my personal Lord and Savior. Uh, and so that might be sort of an apologetic leading me. You know, like, I don't want to do this whole personal Lord and Savior thing with these people and their personal Lord and Savior. So I'm just going to go personal Lord and Savior over there uh, by myself. And so I would venture to assume that that might be a cultural thing as a result of sort of that understanding of salvation, that God saved me and that has nothing to do and has nothing to say about how I interact with his body. And I think it was Tripoli at CrossCon uh, preaching on the church uh, in 20, what is it, 19, I guess, 18 or something like that. And he said, like, when the Father, speaking of God, like, invites you to the table, you, you can't say, oh, I'm not if they're going to be there. Whom the Lord is, inv- it's, it's the Lord's table. You don't choose who he invites to the table. And, uh, and this is the family. You don't say, my brother or my sister, this, they can't come. Uh, I'm just going to have a personal meeting, personal little lunch date with you one-on-one. Uh, whom he has invited to the table has an invitation that you cannot rescind. And so I was touched by, by that from Tripoli. Okay, last question. We'll wrap it up for the night. So we've heard all these things, um, you know, getting to know Christ can clear up a lot of this stuff. Is Am I truly a Christian? Well, if you really know Christ, you'll know the answer to that. And to know Christ is to love him. So how do we love him? You don't kick him. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I mean, don't, but I don't even... I, don't I mean, you I, provide for her, you, you know, whatever. You just kick her every now and then. So, you know, just, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I've never kicked her once. Yeah, he's never, um, he never has. So, I, I, tend, I tend to lean... I mean, it's, it's a relationship, right? So, I mean, you probably heard me say in preaching, Jesus is not a concept. He's not a concept. He's a person. He's alive. We can relate to him, and it's... It's how you relate to anyone, right? Like, you're not going to have a relationship with someone you're not communicating with, and the means in which he gave us that is word and prayer. And I know sometimes that is frustratingly cliche. (laughs) Like, really, at the end of this, it's read your Bible and pray. Um, But I would venture to say that most of you who feel far from the Lord haven't done that. Um, And I I know there is sometimes that you're consistent, you still feel, not talking about that, but, but most of the people I've talked to, when it's I feel distant from the Lord, it's have you prayed? Have you been in the Word? Normally, it's that's not going well. Um, the danger, though, is you don't want to go legalistic on that, right? Like, it's not you get, like, finish your Bible reading plan for the year, and then you get a big A-plus from Jesus. Um, but that is the means in which we have to commune with Him. We hear from Him, from His Word, and we pray to Him um, just communing. So that's, you know, it's, I realize it's sometimes frustratingly simple, but at the end of the day, when I think about loving Jesus, it's, it's prayer. And I want to hear from Him, and I want to talk to Him. And that's how, that's how we walk. We're friends. I would encourage you to, and I say this to myself as much as I say it all to you, um, memorize large tracts of scripture. I think that has just been one of the most beneficial things that I've done in my walk with the Lord. Um, you will be amazed at how memorized scripture stored in your heart will come to you throughout the day. Um, and rebuke you, and encourage you, and teach you, and guide you, and sharpen you, and bless others. So, treasure the Lord's word in your heart. I, th- I think God's given us 
at least two uh, important means through which we can know Jesus uh, and love him. Um, uh, you know, of, of course, there's faith, uh, grace through faith. That's how we know Jesus and love him. But primarily, he re, he re, he's revealed himself to us in the scripture. Uh, we do not, we've not seen Jesus. That's why it's, it's hope and things unseen. We have not walked with Jesus. Um, but we have the example set forth in, uh, for us in scripture, the whole word, word of God, which reveals God, his nature, his character to us. Specifically, we have the, the gospels, which reveal God made human. Uh, so that we can know what Jesus is like and read the whole thing. Sometimes we summarize Jesus in a few personality traits we got from a few key verses, but God's incredibly complex and nuanced and far more than we can imagine. And so we ought to meditate on scripture to learn who is Jesus. And I think the second means, uh, Paul says, follow me as I follow the example of Christ. And so I think that's another practical thing for us is you ought to consider who you admire. We all admire people and we consciously or subconsciously are going to seek to emulate those we admire. And so you ought to ask, who do I admire and why? And I would even say that you ought to be able to name at least one person uh, in a local church context that you admire and seek to emulate. These people are practical, real life, uh, right in front of you examples of Christ, hopefully, if you're in a healthy church. And so you ought to seek to be discipled, to walk, to, to, you ought to admire somebody in your own body. You, you can admire people like John Piper uh, but at the end of the day, he's, he's an abstract figure for us. We can't have a conversation with him. Uh, we can't know him apart from who he is on stage. We can know Dustin in our church. We can know our friends. Uh, so admire somebody in your local church and seek to emulate them as you see them emulate what you see in Scripture from Christ. What do you think, Tanner? Yeah, be discipled. Like, like if you are not in a relationship where somebody is mentoring you and pouring into you, then do get in that as quick as you can. Be discipled. I know it's supposed to be the last question, but there's one from the audience. So this has become a dustinal. Y'all right didn't say, I... Matt. I'm the moderator. So I'm assuming this is based off like what Andrew had said of people to admire, people to look up to, um, especially in the faith, in the faith, especially maybe even in the context of, of this ministry. Um, so I think the question here is just kind of how have we seen this modeled um, for us in Jana? Oh. Do panelists get to answer this? Yes. <laughs> Jana is one of the biggest blessings that you all have had in your lives, whether or not you know it. She is a truth speaker, so wise. You have made it your life mission to know the Lord and to know his word and to love his people with it. Um, you love fiercely and with great loyalty. And you are so much of how I want to be and who I want to be. Um, you, Jana will do anything for anyone. She'll fly halfway across the world. Um, and so, yeah. I, if you want to look up to someone, look up to our girl over here. I think my perspective is an interesting one. Um, somehow talked her into helping with Campus Collective uh, three years ago now. 
um, knew that we needed people who truly love the Lord and, and would be all in. And I think if you know her, you know that there's not any, related to the kingdom, there, there's not a, an ounce of, of reservation. It is all in no matter what. And that'll definitely be, um, man, like the thing I definitely miss the most, um, having that to be, to be pushed in that way. I think the first time uh, that I got to know Jana outside of like seeing her on stage for Collective uh, was kids camp um, at the end of my freshman year. I just like had been around on Tuesday nights and stuff a bunch, but like had never really talked to her. And um, there were a couple times that week that we just because we were in the same group uh, dealt with some pretty intense situations. Um, and I remember being floored by how how wisely, um, how seriously and graciously, and um, how how Christ-centered the way that I watched Jana handle those situations was. Um, I think I've learned from Jana more than maybe anybody in this room, maybe anybody since I've moved to Huntington, how to how to see Jesus as the beautiful answer to the most painfully difficult situations. Amen. Yeah, I, I know that, like myself, Many people in this ministry have looked up to you, Jana, in so many ways. I, I, I've said before, like 9 out of 10, or maybe 11 out of 10 collectives, uh, your door to your office is closed. Somebody is in there uh, meeting with you, and uh, you're comforting them, you're counseling them, and you are laboring to see them uh, healed through whatever it is they're, they're broken about, to know Christ better, and to, as we've talked about, persevere with the church, to keep repenting, to uh, persevere in hope. Uh, you've been a tremendous example to me in boldness. I think that word was mentioned. Uh, I remember at kids camp, we wrote like letters of encouragement. And I think I, think I wrote that like you were like HCC's personal Esther in that like, uh, and like in so many situations, you've had to like sort of speak truth to power. And I've very much admired that and sought to emulate that in my own life. We talk about wanting to emulate people in our own body, uh, recognizing that you've had things to lose before. And in spite of that, you chose to speak truth, uh, regardless of who it was that you were speaking that to. And I've always admired you for that. If we could roll the video, guys, that'd be great. Jana, I am so thankful for your ministry that you've had here at Campus Collective and Huntington Community Church. You are an incredible woman of Christ. You have been an amazing role model for every church member, every person at Campus Collective, um, but especially the women 
of HCC and Collective and everyone who knows you. You are just a kind soul. You are fun-loving, you are spontaneous, you love your dog, you love Jolly Pirate Donut, you love Huntington, you love Marshall University, and these are just so many of the things that make you, you. And I love it. I love you. You are just an incredible person. I'm so thankful for you. You have been an incredible friend to me, um, an amazing confidant. You have discipled me in ways that you don't even know. You are just, just a fun person to be around. I think anyone who knows you could say the same thing about you. And we, I think I'm speaking for everyone at HCC and Campus Collective that we love you and we will miss you. And we are excited for your time in Pittsburgh, but we will also just miss you here in Huntington. I think you've always said that anyone who leaves Huntington always has a part of their heart here in Huntington. <laughs> and so I just see that being you, please come visit. We love you. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for your ministry. But come back for Bachelor Mondays and hang out with us. <laughs> Bye. Hey, Jana. Um, I just want to take a second to thank you for the impact that you've had on my life in this ministry. Um, you gave me the opportunity to serve as your first campus collective intern um, in the media ministry. Um, and that was the first opportunity I've had like that to serve my local church in this ministry. Um, I'm very grateful for the lessons that I learned um, from you and others as a part of that. Thank you for your faithfulness to HCC and Campus Collective. Um, I don't think that myself or anyone truly knows the um, sacrifices that you've made, the hard work you've put in, and the risks you've taken to be able to serve this ministry the way that you do today. Um, I'm very thankful for you and all that you do here. You serve with such a joy and passion and energy um, that can be very unmatchable at times. And I know that because of that, you're going to leave some very big shoes to fill. I'm sure Dustin is already praying for you to come back to Huntington. Um, but no matter what, I know that I'm very excited for you and Miles as you guys get to enter this next chapter of your life together. Um, and we're all definitely going to miss you. Um, hey, Jana. I just wanted to come on here and tell you how much you are loved and just how much you've impacted me in the little time I've had with you. Um, I wanted to thank you for being a safe place to talk and to just um, share my beliefs and be counseled by you. I just am overwhelmed by how good you've been to me and bringing me into the church and taking me under your wing. Um, and yeah, I just really, really am grateful for you and all that you've done. Um, Campus Collective won't be Campus Collective without you, in my opinion. Um, just to see your smiling face every week up there on stage, giving announcements, praying, all that. Um, yeah, we will be very missed and um, very thankful for you. Um, I also just wanted to say thank you so much for always allowing me in your home and hanging with Jack and just chilling with the girls and just really feeling welcomed as part of a family either whether it's been at church or campus collective or just chilling with the girls i 
you guys were the first people to really bring me into a group and a community. And I really just appreciate you just being that person who pulled me in and showed me Christ-like love and just treated me as a sister in Christ. And again, just making a safe place for me to be. Um, I'm very grateful and I love you lots. Jana, I am so very grateful for the impact that you've had on my life. Um, you were my D group leader for two years, my freshman and sophomore year of college. and Those were just such important years in my life and I'm so grateful for um, you taking the time and investing your time and your effort and your energy and um, encouraging me um, and helping me strengthen my relationship with the Lord and um, just pursue Him more. Um, I'm so thankful for the friendship that um, we've developed in your time here in Huntington and um, I'm so grateful for the role that you play in Campus Collective and um, for the great godly leadership that you've set as an example to me and to um, everyone else that's ever stepped inside of our church or inside of this building or other building for collective. Um, I'm definitely going to miss you a lot and um, I'm excited for your future and, and what it holds and I'm excited for you to come back to Huntington and visit and um, good luck with everything um, in the future. I love you. Jana, I'm so thankful um, that when you saw me at my like lowest moments, you always um, brought me near to you, and not only to you, but to the Lord, which is just such an incredible blessing in my life to have somebody like, no matter how much I was struggling or suffering, you were there to remind me that I needed to look at the bigger picture, um, and I thank you for pushing me to do that, to not let myself sit in that misery, but to see the bigger picture and to see the gospel and everything. Um, I'm also so thankful, Jana, for the role that you serve in women's ministry. I think you've taught me and so many other women that you have a place in ministry, you can do ministry and you can do it well and be on fire for the gospel and for Jesus. And I'm so thankful um, that you showed me and so many other girls here um, that you can be outspoken and you can be strong, you don't have to be weak. And that's something that I'll take with me for the rest of my life. And I'm so thankful that you were bold enough to do that for us. Thank you, Jana. I'll miss you. Hey, Jana. Wow. Um, where to begin? Um, things I love about you. Um, my goodness, you're always all in. Like, that's what I just love about you. Like, you're so passionate. Like. No one ever has to wonder like what you care about because you're just always in. I love your uh, your heart for campus ministry. You've always been just all invested um, from day one when I first met you um, at Marshall. You love just to reach the campus. I never had to like um, stir a fire in you to reach the campus or love people. That was just something you did, and so it was just so much fun um, just getting to work with you all those years. Um, um, and I love how you just love truth. Um, uh, you, you, I never have to also wonder like what you're thinking 
Like you, you are not afraid to um, just speak truth um, in love. And I just love that about you, that, that uh, truth is really important to you. And uh, uh, another thing that I, I will always remember about you is just how much fun you are. Uh, just always fun. Just I remember <laughs> years ago when Xavier was probably five, learning how to ride a bike. Uh, I remember just you and him riding bikes together. And not like you brought your bike over, but like you rode his other bike. So you rode like a bike with training wheels and just had so much fun. I still remember that out front of the house. Uh, just always so goofy and love to have fun. So there's like the serious side of you, but always coupled with just goofy. So um, that's the legacy that I'll remember from you and um, look forward to how the Lord's gonna use you and Miles and your future for ministry together. I uh, conclude tonight, I just wanna challenge you all. Um, when Jana was in campus ministry, she was a lot just like you guys, searching, seeking the Lord, um, and you just have no idea um, the adventure, if you can even call it that, um, that uh, you're called to as going all in with the kingdom. And uh, yeah, I guess I would say this too. I think it's, this makes sense that particularly you ladies, that like you need to know you have a place here, and um, we are all in with equipping you and letting you use all of your gifts um, to bring the kingdom um, by his grace um, to our campus and in our city. And uh, Jana, we thank you for that legacy you're leaving. Um, it's not going to be the same without you. We really have to call them something other than Janels, which is sad. Um, I just want to say again, I'm really sorry if it's your first night. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was, I was going to say that, but also I'm not uh, because, like, this is family. Whenever we say we are not interested in pulling off a great service, this is the kind of stuff we mean is that this matters to us and we want to send her off well. So thank you all for listening. Taylor has, you want to do this now? I didn't know about this element of it. We'll do it after. Um, I was unprepared for that. Um, but yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's close in prayer and I have a few announcements after that and then we'll be done for the night, okay? Um, Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die for us. Lord, thank you for the breath to even say that sentence, uh, Lord, that we deserve none of this, yet we have abundant, pure, joyful life in Christ. God, thank you for the faith to even believe that that is true. Um, Father, thank you for the assurance of salvation. Thank you that in your word, you gave us books like 1 John, that you make it clear that you want us to know that we belong to you. So, Father, for the struggling believers in here that are looking to the power of their sin as a reason to be far from you, I pray you would overwhelm them with the power of your grace, that they would see that their sin is no match um, for the grace in Christ. Um, and Father, for, for those who have been just playing games, just pray you would stop them in their tracks tonight. They would see that a life lived for you is the life of joy and that it's worth it because you're worth it. Um, God, help us to never be presumptuous when we approach you. Thank you for the good days. Thank you for the bad days and give us grace to actually believe that. Um, and God, we, we do lift up Jana now. Lord, thank you for the gift that she is to this ministry. Um, Lord, it's I have no idea how long uh, you will sustain this ministry. All of us in this room could be gone in 20 years. Um, we have no idea, but we know this is a gift you've given us to steward, and the people you've given us to do it with are a gift. 
Uh, so God, be with her in Pittsburgh. I pray. Thank you for Miles for bringing a man who loves her and loves you into her life. Just pray you would be with them, that you would use them to advance your kingdom um, in Pittsburgh. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.